Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming back Cheryl Crowder, who's been on the show before, and Linda Klein. Cheryl Crowder is an existential humanistic psychotherapist with over 40 years of experience in the field of depth psychology and human consciousness. She works with people who've been diagnosed with cancer and other life-threatening illnesses, their partners, family members, and caregivers. She's published two books on cancer, Surviving the Storm, a workbook for telling your cancer and psychosocial care of cancer survivors, a clinician's guide and workbook for providing wholehearted care. Her book, Odyssey of Ashes, a memoir of love, loss, and letting go was released in 2021. She's contributor to Art in the Time of Unbearable Crisis, Women Writers Respond to the Call, and a contributor to Loss and Grief, Personal Stories of Doctors and Other Healthcare Professionals, which we'll be talking about today. Linda Klein began her career as an attorney. Out of law school, she was selected to do a coveted federal clerkship and went on to work with Fortune 500 companies at a global law firm. At 25, Linda, her father, and three siblings watched their 55-year-old mom die from breast cancer, receiving no guidance around end-of-life care or what was to come after. As a result, she changed careers. She was recruited by the Department of Supportive Care Medicine, City of Hope, to oversee the Sherry and Les Biller Patient and Family Resource Center, where she developed integrated interdisciplinary programs focused on enhancing strengths and resiliency in cancer patients and caregivers. She contributed significantly to the science of caring portion of medical grand rounds and assumed a leadership role in building the institution-wide advanced care planning initiative. She currently leads bereavement support groups at Our House, one of the largest nonprofit grief centers in California, and is an editor of the Loss and Grief book we're talking about today. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Cheryl. It's really good to see you again. It really, really is. Um, you know, it's it's interesting when I have people return, Cheryl, because um, I can still see the 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 links. Uh, the lost links in how life then goes and what we end up doing. So this is another chapter in your own, uh, you know, your own story of how uh, loss continues to affect us through a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I appreciate that, uh, Linda. You may not know that my wife died in, in a, a long time ago. One or yesterday, either one, but <laughs> about 28 years ago, and um, it's really interesting to watch that evolution. So, and some of the people in in your collection, of course, also had losses a long time ago that they still respond to. 
in their lives. So I'm happy to well, talk and in you that way too. too. I mean, losing your mother at such an early age that that, that, you know, path for you also. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. As you said, it could be 21 years ago or it feels like yesterday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how did this book come about? Obviously it's an unusual thing. Maybe it's not unusual to listeners, but I know from interacting with healthcare environments that um, often healthcare environments talk about the grief of other people, um, but not necessarily of the healthcare providers themselves. And there's there's a delicacy about it. Actually, will will it um, disrupt their authority, all kinds of things. So that's one of the radical things about your book, that it's all healthcare professionals, most of whom are doctors, um, that that wrote for the book their very personal stories. How did it come about? How did you convince people to do it? You know, <laughs> give me a little history on the book. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um so the book, and you're right, it, it is actually quite unusual um, and unique to have healthcare professionals, physicians and therapists and so forth uh, show their vulnerabilities in this way. Um, the book was the genesis of, of my mentor and the editor, Matthew Lascalzo um, at City of Hope. And he uh, and Susan Block, who is a pioneer in palliative medicine, um, uh, worked together on creating this book um, that there's so many so much out there uh, about doctors walking in their patients shoes but but nothing out there about doctors or other healthcare professionals walking in their own shoes um and as as matt has said many times the public can only be as healthy as their healers as their doctors and so if uh there's a as you know too well there's a a stigma in society to kind of run away from being vulnerable, run away from talking about this. And uh, Matt had the idea that if doctors can really role model this for us um, and uh, and show that that being vulnerable can actually lead to a much more healthy and uh, strength-based approach to living. So, I think that's so important for sure. And especially at this time when the... Um the medical community is pretty traumatized personally by what COVID has done to both make it a lot harder, but also highlight what was already wrong. And so there's, there's so much distress there that um, I'm really glad to see ways that the conversation's opening, but I do know how hard it is. For instance, I, I have a um, palliative care, um, doctor that I know who wrote a a beautiful, beautiful article about her distress during residency. And she received a letter from another doctor that was vicious. I have to call it vicious. Um, You know, basically you're weak and how can you, you know, how can you talk like that? I mean, it was, it was virulent. And um, so in order to step out, you have to be willing to walk past the reaction from a system that is not comfortable with it, don't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. And, and that's something that came up in in almost every story 
uh, is that the institutions, the healthcare institutions that are supposed to be there to heal and provide guidance on this very subject, uh, none of them had the infrastructure uh, in place to support their doctors and other healthcare professionals when they have what everyone on this planet has, whether you're a doctor or not, uh, which is loss. You're going to face loss and death and grief in your own life. And too often, there's a few examples in the book of what they call a blood in the uh, water phenomenon of seeing a weakness because somebody is at home taking care of a, a dying loved one and looking at that as a way to advance in their professional circles. So Linda, let's have you read um, a little bit from the conclusion because it kind of explains what motivated you in a, in a, in a concise way. And I think that would be helpful for people to hear. <clears throat> Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. So this is from the conclusion written by Matthew Lascalzo, Dr. Marshall Forstein, who's also an editor, and, and myself. Doctors and other healthcare professionals must face pain in their own lives, disrupting the fantasy that somehow they are immune to loss and grief while they care for others. Sometimes that disruption is so profound that it destroys careers and relationships. This book has been a work of great sacrifice as each author worked through their own loss and grief in the writing of their narrative. We are so grateful for their courage and willingness to bear their pain and suffering as they bear the profound change in each heart, soul, and life. The unflinching, deeply personal stories of loss and grief shared by the narrators who had the audacity to walk their own shoes are as powerful as they are sad. These are, these are universal memory stories from the front line of life about how we perceive, make sense of, and grow with core losses. There are many questions yet to be addressed, but ultimately we must ask if doctors and other healthcare professionals are not at the vanguard of making a world filled with loss and grief, more loving and kind, who will? Hmm. Cheryl, I want to speak with you for a few minutes because, of course, we share our profession as therapists, and that's got a whole other set of complications that there's supposed to be a strong veil between us and the people we're, we're working with so they don't have to worry about us, right? Right. Um, right. But these kinds of experiences, I know for myself, break that veil. And uh, I think a lot about, and I'm sure that's been true for you as well, right? Yes. Uh, you've been through cancer treatment. You can't, that's, you can't, can't, can't pretend it's not, that. A, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, when I, when I stepped away from work to take care of my wife, when she was dying, I was terrified that I was going to damage my clients. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it turned out most of them made very good use of it. But, yes. <laughs> but you know, I, I, I gained a lot of faith in my clients through that experience. But how have you dealt with that kind of uh, collision, I guess I want to yeah, say? Yeah, the dilemma, I might call it. The dilemma of, of course, that, you know, how I'm mentored is to be authentic and to show up present and to meet people where they are and for myself to be as present as I can be. So, I mean, when that, when the cancer hit and I knew, you know, uh, 
I mean, some, you know, for some people, they make a choice. They might wear a wig or they might try and put makeup on, whatever. Um, but I really decided, okay, you know, this is my life's work, and my life's work is to be authentic. So I'm going to show up the way I am. And how I worked with it with people, I mean, some people, you know, were, were obviously frightened, but we worked with it. If I felt mm -hmm. they were trying to take care of me, I said, oh, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it all became part of the work. And I think that was some of the most powerful work that ever went on in that office. I had one person, terrible marriage, 40 years unhappy, on and on. And at one point, this person looked across the room at me and said, listen, if you can do this and sit here, I can certainly make some choices about what I want in my life. And bam, made a change that she that this person had been struggling with for decades. So I think that's the power of it. And then to sort of fast forward into um, the loss of John so suddenly, and um, you know the person who had to call uh, when I was like, I realized you know because I'd had the cancer. Here's sort of the you know the flow. If my clients who I work very closely with and we have deep relationships here, you know, Cheryl's not going to be in. There's been an emergency. They're either going to think, oh, my God, she's, she's sick got, again. She's got the cancer again. Or they're <laughs> right. gonna think, you know, they're going to think that. So I said, you just you just tell them here's what's happening. So they all they all knew. And, um, and you know, and then when I came back, um, some some people again working with that they did they have to take care of me or some people feeling as though how could they possibly talk about their own feelings and their own law their own what was going on for them um, you know in 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 the face of this and of course they're again leaning right up against that well how is that an issue for you and so on and then though when I wrote the 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 book the Odyssey of Ashes book and. <laughs> Like I said this at the little gathering we had down in Los Angeles, Linda, for the book. I said, you know, there was that moment uh, where, I mean, I, this book is very, very raw. And there was that moment when it left me off to the printer and I thought to myself, what have I done? I have just looked like a crazy, <clears throat> you know, wild animal in front of everybody. So I was, it was scary. And I think this is, you know, that's my story in terms of, um, you know, what it's like as a professional, um, you know, what are people going to think? She seems like completely out of her mind half of the time in, the, in this story. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, once I, I sort of went with that and then coming to this book, The Loss and Grief, the, the, the latest, you know, honestly, at this point, it's to me, it's like, you know what, either in my writing or in my life, I, it's all out there anyway. And at this, yeah. at this point, and somebody even said that to me, that, do you mind me asking about your cancer? And I started to laugh. I said, you know, at this point in my life, I mean, I'm splattered book. all over the place. So there is that too, you know, um, yeah. sort of the getting used to it, you know, to being vulnerable. And, and leaving people to make those choices. There are mm -hmm. some people who've never Googled me. You know, they don't know I do a radio show. They're completely blind to me, <laughs> which well, is great. Yes. That's what they need. Yeah. But then there's uh, the other day I was working with a client and said, she said, um, yesterday I was having a really hard day and I listened to your podcast all day. 
Like those are the two ends of the spectrum, uh-huh. right? And obviously, I'm very personal on this show. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, there's no yeah. way I could do this show and not be yeah. personal. It wouldn't make yeah. any sense. So maybe it's a matter of right um, right pairings too. Well, right, and you know, right pairings, and but I, I really like you know what Linda was saying and what what Matt was was really going for is that um, as the people who are in healthcare, as the people who are doing this work. Um, I really deeply agree with that. You know, if, if we show the way and say, look, if I yes. can stand here in shreds, then, you know, maybe it's okay. That's the, the conclusion 99% of the people I was working with when my wife died, mm-hmm. uh, what I noticed in them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what a thing to, to put out there. Obviously, there are still... It's still their work, right? (laughs) But um, the fact that that can be of service, that there's some way, when I say you can do this, people tend to believe me. Yeah. That's that's a part of it too. It's really, really hard. Yeah. Let's do it together, right? Right. There's a believability. Yeah, I think also, um, you know, that if particularly physicians – and uh, people who work in institutional settings where we know there's so much, so much systemic uh, dysfunction that I think the burnout rates and the compassion fatigue rates and, and frankly, the suicides mm-hmm. and the self-destruction that goes on, if people could be allowed to be who they are and ask for help and, and join each other, then I've, I really believe you would see a decrease in the distress of people in healthcare, I hundred percent so, agree. I mean, right now it's distress so distressing. <laughs> it would take a lot to so, catch up with the it distress. Is but, so distressing. To so work when with. we we're going to take a break, but when we get back from the break, Cheryl, you know, you said something like being in pieces or something. But mm-hmm. I think that people will feel when you share your writing that doesn't cover what your writing does. So when we get back, I'd like you to share a piece from from your uh, article. And listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief host page. Please reach out. Let me know what you like about the show, what you'd like to see more of, and all of that good stuff. And to uh, find the book, Loss and Grief, Personal Stories of Doctors and Other Healthcare Professionals, the best way is just to go to Amazon Books, uh, but you can probably request it through other bookstores as well. Be back soon. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device. 
including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Cheryl Crowder and Linda Klein, contributor and editor of Loss and Grief, Personal Stories of Doctors and Other Healthcare Professionals. And uh, before the break, you and I, Cheryl, were, were just talking about the particular complications of exposure of personal uh, loss in a therapeutic relationship. And I'm, I'm totally with you that authenticity in the service of the relationship is unavoidable for one thing. (laughs) I don't know how people entirely avoid it forever anyway, but also productive. It can be very productive Mm -hmm. um, depending on how it's navigated. But you were saying after your book came out, you were, you know, Oh my God, what have I done? I'm so basically you were saying I would, I'm so exposed. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder if you'd share, um, part of the article you wrote for the book mm-hmm. because it gives people a sense of that, but also how people might come to be inspired too mm-hmm. by that type mm-hmm. of sharing, I think. Mm-hmm. Would you do that? Would you read sure, some of that? Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Well, so, you know, for this anthology, um, I needed to write about a diff- something that I hadn't written about before uh, regarding John's death. And so speaking of like the flow again, it was, and then I remembered this particular story. So um, this story, of course, appeared for the first time in this anthology. And the title is called With This Ring. I'm just going to read the quote before my little excerpt because I think it really says a lot. The title is With This Ring. And the quote is Ann Tyler. And the quote is, no couple buying wedding rings wants to be reminded that someday one of them will have to accept the other's one's ring from a nurse or an undertaker. So this is the sort of ending of, of, of this particular piece. These first moments of the sudden loss of John left me stunned. Eventually, I began to surface from beneath 
the waves of grief coming up for air, trying to find my way. But unlike the shock that swiftly knocked me over, it took a while to find the ground beneath my feet once again. I wandered through the world in a dreamlike state. Days faded into weeks and months as the world continued on, uncaring of the loss I was struggling with. Living in this timeless state, I have no memory of the point in time after John died when I decided to remove my own wedding ring. I don't remember how I got I got to the choice, only that at some point I said to myself, I cannot be married to a dead man. And now, how to get this off my finger? One darkening fall evening, I light a candle and sit quietly, alone with a deep sorrow and ache in my chest as I contemplate taking off the golden ring of infinity. I feel myself releasing another layer of the loss of John, our marriage, the years spent together, as I weep, I begin covering my finger with mountains of hand cream until my whole hand is so slippery that it's hard to get much traction on the ring. Twisting and turning it, I almost had it over my knuckles until it got stuck. By now the finger was not only greasy, but swollen up like a sausage, making any progress impossible. My sad ritual came to an unsuccessful conclusion and a sore finger. I went to the internet to research how to get a ring off. My methods including looping a string between my finger and the ring, applying copious amounts of olive oil, and then tugging the thread. I was left with another enlarged, oil-slicked, red and puffy finger. I tried ice. I tried dental floss. I used plastic wrap. The continued agony of, of with dealing with the ring paralleled the anguish, anguish within me. I wanted this whole thing to be over. I didn't want to look down at a symbol of the loss I was struggling with, which now seemed in mirrored in futile attempts at the removal of the painful reminder that I was now a widow. When death strikes suddenly, the aftershocks can be surprising, both in their intensity and unpredictability. After my useless, miserable attempts of getting my ring off, I start to recognize the fact that I'm actually going to have to have it cut off my finger. I feel so sad, so vulnerable as I contemplate having my wedding ring sliced apart, the circle of a broken promise. I find a local jewelry store, ask if they can cut off a ring, and when told yes, make time to go. Arriving at the upscale store, I remember other venues where John where John's jewelry was once displayed. Did he ever show here? All the galleries, the shows, and images of his gorgeous creations flood my mind as I walk into the place. I feel shaky, my voice sounds thin and unsteady as I interrupt the inane chatter of the two women behind the display case with my request. This is a far cry from my original attempt at a sacred ring removing ritual. The women glance knowingly at me then snigger a bit as they nod at one another and back at me. Do they not notice that I am not, I am unsmiling, pale and wobbly? Oh, one of the women says, we've done this quite a few times. Yes, the other chimes in. It's wonderful to be able to help someone move on. 
They assume that I am surely in the process of a nasty divorce and will be relieved to be rid of the reminder of a dastardly spouse whom I'm glad to be, have out of my life. My response, telling them that I am a widow, created a stillness like frost on a winter windowpane. One of the women brings out a tool that will cut metal but not flesh, and we are all silent. In the end, they do not charge me for the service. I leave the shop with my severed wedding ring and drive home alone. The final resting place of the two rings is in a small open black velvet ring box next to John's altar and picture. The ring that is cut nestles up against the ring that is still whole. One circle broken, the other forever a sphere of infinity. They touch one another in a light embrace. As I continue in my solitary life, I find myself rubbing the indentation on my finger that is still slender from my wedding ring. I'm grateful to touch the circle of skin around my finger to, because it reminds me that even in profound absence, there is healing. Within, oops, within me grows a deepening understanding that a broken ring, like a broken heart, is a beautiful memory of a life and an infinite love. All these parts of moving forward from the loss, I'm thinking particularly of a spouse, um, every single minute step is important. Every single one of them. I mean, uh, uh, my own steps that I'm thinking about as I hear you read, mm -hmm. you know, hundreds of steps. Yeah, yeah. And each one, I guess, I feel fortunate that I didn't have to move after mm -hmm. my spouse died because uh, when I work with people who have to move and yeah, yeah. get rid of things and pack everything up, it seems so wrenching and abysmal, right? Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. but still, each each step, still even in a in a compressed and, and fast process is important. Mm -hmm. And especially something like that, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess I'd like to circle back just a little bit to talk more about the overall book. And um, <clears throat> during the break, Cheryl, you were saying you would love to hear Linda talk about kind of the asks and what mm -hmm. happened in that human process of saying, would you be willing to write something for this? And the person responding in whatever way, some maybe, maybe yes, no's and maybes. <laughs> I guess mm -hmm. I, that mm -hmm. would be what I'd imagine. But um, was it was it hard to get uh, medical professionals to want to contribute or not hard? How did what what kind of responses did you get? And how did you find people to reach out to in the first place? Well, yes, it was actually very hard uh, to find physicians who are, were willing, again, to write about something that was very personal to them. A lot of them wanted to write about an, a patient experience, um, but the point of this book was to write from your own personal experience. Um, so what we found is, is that these doctors who... Uh, 
who are many of them, as you mentioned earlier, are experts in palliative care. Um, with some of them with over 30 years of experience, their day to day is working with people, uh, counseling them around death and dying. Uh, I mean, they've seen it all and they're stars, stars in their ability to support people, patients and families in that in that way. But what we found, one of the major themes of this book was when it came to writing about their own personal losses, the professional veneer and experience offered no immunity, as we mentioned the conclusion, no protection. Uh, it was very difficult for these uh, doctors who are so used to it in our everyday to share in a deep way. So many of the authors met every month uh, in a roundtable type discussion where they would ask each other those deepening questions that you and Cheryl no doubt ask in your practices. Um, and they would have to, they would go through multiple rounds of, of writing. Um, it was very difficult for them to go deep and give you some of that raw gritty, what they were feeling, what they were seeing, what they were hearing in that moment, in those moments. Um, so it was actually quite hard <laughs> uh, um, to get it from them. So, um, but what was, what was so inspiring about this process um, and, and quite glorious actually was the process by which they went so deep after these rounds of, of feedback, um, they found that that it enabled them to think about their loss and their grief in a different way. And their fear of being so vulnerable and so open in front of all of these people uh, turned into more of a strength um, and a way to kind of humanize that loss experience uh, they felt less alone, less isolated mm. in their suffering and pain. And that's what we hope will trickle out into the community, um, this normalization of it. I just uh, remembered a saying that people I knew in 12-step in programs used to quote, you're only as sick as your secrets. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, I think of that, that the things that we keep hidden do make us sick, ultimately. And I'm, and I'm also aware that a, a very high percentage, uh, an unusually high percentage of healthcare profess professionals have had early loss. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that's anything anyone mentioned, but um, I think there are people who go into the medical professions as an antidote to loss, mm -hmm. a way to get control over loss. But of course, that fails eventually. <laughs> you know. Um, so that's a whole other book, you know, um, I've interviewed some people who've written about how their early losses affected their medical practices and uh, brought them up even. Um, I'm thinking about two things like um, what breaks the barrier, like the doctor who got attached to a patient who then died of COVID and the different experience it is when you're actually attached to a person, mm -hmm. even if it is in a professional environment, mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. having less distance. So I'm sure that you encountered that some too, because that can be a very personal loss if you allow the attachment, can't it? Absolutely. And uh, I believe you're speaking of, of Dr. Craig Blinderman, who wrote so beautifully about uh, his experience during COVID in New York City in, in those kind of gut-wrenching first few months. Um, and he encountered a, a patient who 
uh, outside of, of the COVID, uh, but then this patient ended up in his palliative care unit and, and ultimately died of COVID. And uh, what Craig talked about was that that loss of this patient broke his heart. And he what this writing process forced him to do, he signed up to contribute to the book. Um, but what he said was it forced him to come to the conclusion that I'm a human too. Um, what I'm, I'm grieving, what has this loss done to me? And what has my not grieving this loss, not talking about this loss, what is that going to do to me and then to my patients and to my loved ones? Um, and so uh, it, it, it really opened up. Um, and again, in the round and around way, we had, everybody had to kind of support each other to go deeper um, but yes, absolutely, you can develop that attachment. Well, and I've thought about it from my own perspective as a as a healthcare consumer. That what do I want in a doctor? Yes, I want them to be good at it, but probably even more than that, I want them to have a relationship with me. I I can't I can't do it unless there's a relationship. But that puts a lot of ha- having that many relationships at 15 minute intervals, uh, there's a balance point that I'm not sure, give, thank goodness I don't have to strike, you know, <laughs> where how attached do you allow yourself to get if you're, especially in a situation where people die so much like palliative okay. care. Um, it's a really interesting, I hope there will be work on how you remain open, loving, connected, and not overwhelmed. <laughs> you know, that's a big, big project, I think. Did anyone well, talk well, about I, that? Well, I think um, the, the education, this is where education comes in. And actually, the second book that I wrote is, is exactly about this, how to use boundaries, how, you know, mm-hmm. how to have a, a mm-hmm. wholehearted relationship. And, um, you know, be present, even in 15 minutes. And of course, it's possible because I do have doctors and they are that way. Yeah, I've chosen them for that reason. Um, And I'm just aware that I'm pretty sure um, those people have to step away and register the impact on them sometimes, the personal impact, just as we're talking about and have ways to communicate that and all. Let's take another break and we'll come back for our last segment in a few. Listeners, again, you can find... Find uh, links on my website, um, which is weatherandgrief.com or the Good Grief page at Voice America. And there's also a link to my novel on that, on, on the Good Grief page. So check that out as well. And to find the book, Loss and Grief, Personal Stories of Doctors and Other Healthcare Professionals, which is an Oxford University Press book, you can go to Amazon Books or wherever else you buy books. Be back soon. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. 
Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Cheryl Crowder and Linda Klein, contributor and editor of Loss and Grief, personal stories of doctors and other healthcare professionals. And, um, you know, I gave a nod to the complications I know doctors face and also the fact that there are ways as as you mentioned, and of course, I th- I believe you were on the show to talk about that book, Cheryl, and it's a great book about how how to integrate relationship. Um, and I'm just aware that there need to be structures for that. I, uh, one of my dear friends um, was one of the directors of palliative care at UCSF and ran programs for self care for healthcare professionals, you know, how do you process feelings and how do you support each other and how do you invite conversation? It has to be in the system. Otherwise people are afraid to bring it up and then they don't get what they need. It's, it's you can't supply it in a vacuum. You need interaction. Yes. Yes. I really think it should be part of the training in medical school. And then I think it should be just like law and ethics are always required courses for licensure. I think, you know, uh, relationship work and, and self-care work should also be required, uh, you know, particularly for medical professionals. Well, not to mention grief work. Yeah, yeah. Even in our profession. Now, if you're a therapist long enough, you will encounter grief and loss. 
<laughs> of the major kind, but that's what our work is about all the time. Yeah, yeah. The distance between what we want and what is, right? And yeah. yet, I don't think we were required to take a course on grief. Not when I went to school. No, uh-uh, no. I think that's astonishing. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. it's changed somewhat. I do want to say that, but um, the idea that we can be yeah. so blind to that. Good Let's point. have one more piece from the book. And um, I was saying during the break, I was especially touched by this because uh, my wife was a person of color, our child is a person of color. And when she died, that whole uh, balance point was pretty challenging, <laughs> right? To, to figure out how to support her without the parent who just automatically got it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, took, it took something extra. And also, of course, because this is a, a same-sex partnership, that sort of also touched me. But it's also a beautiful piece of writing. Maybe, Linda, could you, um, should, could you read that for us, Marshall Forstein's uh, piece? Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Forstein is a, a psychiatrist at Harvard. He stepped in uh, to take the role of co-editor after Susan Block had left, um, and he is um, he was married to a uh, a man for 38 years uh, who was African American. Marshall's a white Jewish man, and they had two sons. Uh, so yes, this is an excerpt from his story about the loss of his husband Carrie. <clears throat> when his breathing slowed almost imperceptibly, except to an astute person who had witnessed death before. I was caught between my horror at the reality of the moment he stopped breathing and the incessant observations of the body as I had witnessed so many times before through my training and working with dying patients in the early days of the AIDS epidemic. But this body had been warm moments before and the mind plays tricks to see movement of the chest where there is none. Kindly, the nurse sitting with me through the last hour reached over and touched my arm and said, He's gone. With the next slow, deep exhalation, I felt nothing but numbness and a racking body pain, almost as though part of me wanted to jump into the abyss with him so as not to have him go alone. I sat there holding his hand, growing colder, wishing I I could infuse his body with the warmth of mine. One moment we are of this world and the next we are not. One moment we know about the fragility and ephemeral essence of life, and the next we do not even know we have lived or that our life meant anything. Only those on this side of that divide know of his having been. And in that moment, I knew that never again would I taste his breath, know his touch, or hear his voice. What was, I knew, would slowly, imperceptibly, slip further and further away from my acute sense of his being as our memories fight with grief to hold time still. Thoughts of having to call my sons and tell them brought me back to this side of life, then a deafening silence and a muted screaming in my brain. When I finally went home, my youngest son was there. And to this day, we don't know who held who up. I didn't want to let go, and finally in the shower, scrubbing as though I could wash off the reality of what had just happened, the tears finally flowed in my unabashed heaving of my chest and heart. 
I am quite sure that my son heard my wailing in his room at night. Having been rock-like for me at first, I know that he too found his tears that night as well. The plans we had made, moments of future, counted on, suddenly changed. The night he died, I finally slipped into bed with an exhaustion that felt unbearable. I was acutely aware that as I was slipping beneath wakefulness, the emptiness in my stomach and my heart made the bed seem cavernous, welcoming and warning in a Dali-esque sort of way. Although I had been sleeping alone at times when he remained in the living room in his chair, too tired and uncomfortable to pretend to sleep in bed, the emptiness of the bed now felt immutable. Rolling from my side to his, does everyone in a couple have a side? I tried to pretend that both of us were pulling at the comforter to keep the emptiness at bay. I remember awakening with tears and fear propelling me into the shower amidst the din of my cries and pain. This was the first day of the rest of my life. And for now, the beast of grief with my companion for the, for the foreseeable future. I was acutely aware that for my youngest son, who had already lost his biological parents as an infant, this loss was something different. As a Mexican-American, he and my husband had a special bond around their being people of color, something I could try to understand but not experience. The pain of having lost my own father resurged in my wanting to spare my son the same, but I knew too well that I was powerless to do so. The ensuing nights brought shadows, images of old and new parts of our life together dropped in and out of view, disorienting moments in the most vulnerable times of, knife, of night, intruding on the relief from grief that sleep sometimes gifts. There was no linearity to the intrusive dreams and lucid awakenings. The first few days, surrounded by friends and family by day, but alone at night, left me wondering if I could bear it all. You know, what I think about as I'm listening to that, uh, aside from feeling my own memories in the light of his, uh, is, is that we do build on ourselves uh, the way that he's capable of writing to about that, to me, has to refer to all the loss that he dealt with before that. Um, there's a, a, a Bill Hayes wrote wrote a, a book, Insomniac Nights or something. He was all our first Oliver Sacks' last mm -hmm. partner, yeah. only partner actually, and um, but he had lost a partner previous to that, and I felt that the way he was able to be with Oliver was very much based and to face his death was very much based on his previous grief. You know, we build, but we don't know which part is what, <laughs> um, but we do build skills. Yes. And then having a book like this, having an invitation to be more open about loss would be such a service to healthcare professionals. Don't, don't you believe if that could mess it, if that message could spread, that actually it's part of your skill set mm -hmm. to, to do this kind of investigation of yourself and your own losses. Mm -hmm. So is that beginning to happen? Like are people, I know it's just come out pretty recently, yes. Um, but 
uh, is it finding inroads in places where it'll really matter, you know, where, where um, the message is needed maybe? Well, thank you for asking. We are, are fortunate to have received quite a few uh, emails and, and uh, comments from, from people, especially in the healthcare field, who have told us, thank you, it's about time. <laughs> thank you to people like Cheryl Crowder on your on your um, podcast right now. And like, thank you for your courage. Uh, thank you for so courageously being a role model for us. And and it forces them in these emails to us, they'll start to talk about losses in their own lives. Mm. Um, uh, and, and that's what we hope will happen, again, to normalize the suffering, to normalize the pain, to people not to think that they're crazy because they're having all of these feelings um, around their, their loss in their lives. I mean, that's, that's obviously important overall. That's probably the deepest reason why I do this show, for instance, you know, it's talkable, it's, mm -hmm. it's faceable, there's something that comes of it often, you know, all of that. But um, some environments are a little more difficult to dive into than others, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it feels to me like there's a change in medical care. Maybe even COVID has pushed the envelope on it because, boy, how do you contain that level of loss when person after yeah. person, four to five, ten people a day are dying on your floor? That's uh, the barrier comes down, I'm assuming. The defenses come down mm -hmm. at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and maybe it's just that time and, you know, that, that moment in time when, you know, you hit a critical mass, you go to a crossroads and people say, you know, let's just, let's just be authentic with one another. Let's, mm -hmm. let's the mm -hmm. stigma about, you know, sharing your vulnerability and, and all of that. Where can we be done? You know? Yeah. Well, you know, this this show, as you well know, Cheryl, and maybe you're getting the idea, Linda, is is about grief and the and the pain of it and the, you know, wrenching agony of it. But it's also about the fact that unexpectedly beauty comes out often. And I think most of the stories in your book are examples of that. People went on from their losses to do something that related to their losses. Mm -hmm. Yes? Mm -hmm. It doesn't take away the grief. They're side by side. But to me, that's, that's what um, keeps me energized and you know happy to be living. <laughs> it's, it doesn't end there. Everything doesn't end there. Well, yes. I think you're, you're you're speaking about the possibility of the transformation that can that's, occur. That's right, 100%. Um, well, it's been lovely to have you both, and uh, I hope the book finds its way into the places it is most needed, not just the people who are already there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so thanks for being here. Thank you so much, thank Cheryl. You so much. Really, thank you so much. You're so welcome. And again, you can, you can find... Loss and Grief, Personal Stories of Doctors and Other Healthcare Professionals, anywhere you buy books, including Amazon, which is an easy place to get it. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. 
Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.